Thank you. Um, that's good, isn't it? So often in those moments, you don't know whether you should stop and to go on to something else. But our our belief is that worship isn't just us having that moment of singing songs of how much we enjoy and glorify God. Worship is something that we choose to do with our whole life. It's a it's a continual thing. So even though we're going to be shifting gears as as we go into uh, looking at the Word of God. The whole point, the reason of doing this is so that we know how to worship God in spirit and in truth. And what I'm speaking about today is actually the very heart of it is worship. The very heart of this is worship. So today I'm speaking about Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. Now we've been going through this series, I don't know about you guys, but I've been really enjoying this series we've been going through about the names of God. And I think Mark started off very well when he just said, you know, names have impact on us. We hear a name, and some names you hear, and immediately you have a reaction to it. Now, I was watching a documentary recently about the start of World War II. And I was just thinking about that, the name. When the name Hitler is spoken, it has a reaction in us, a very strong one. And, it's, and I was... I was I was struck that even when there was these German historians who were in this documentary explaining about when they used the word Hitler, it seemed to have an even more powerful uh, essence to this when they would say it. Because for some reason, names do have that ability to shape the way we think and the way we react. So going through this series has been amazing because this is how God wants to reveal himself to us. By telling us his name, which highlights a particular character in him, a characteristic of God that he wants to bring out. And so today we've got another, another name of God, Jehovah Nissi, and it's kind of like Simon's. It's only mentioned once in Scripture. So it makes it a little bit, it makes it more interesting when you get something like this because the context it's delivered in becomes very important context becomes paramount for us to understand it because otherwise we don't know why why would God reveal it as this at this time and this time only because it's very very critical that we understand context and part of us going through this series in this is for us to help you to understand how you read your your Bible it's how do you look at this how do you see something that occurs once in scripture and be able to know how can I unpack that how can I understand what God's trying to speak to me on about so part of this is, and my heart, I was just thinking about this the last few days whilst I was preparing for it. I'm like, part of it, I say to Hannah, like, I know why I'm getting up to speak. I just don't know what I'm supposed to say. And I just felt God say that part of the reason why we study his word, part of the reason why there's preparation in, in coming before and then presenting it to you is so that you would now know that there actually takes, for you yourselves, it takes preparation in scripture that you need to do to find the depths of God. What, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm, I'm trying to do here is encourage you to get into, your, into the Word of God. Encourage you to study Scripture because it's life to us. It is very critical. And when we stop understanding the necessity for us to dig in deep into the Scripture, we will stop seeing God as all-powerful. We'll stop seeing Him as Jehovah Shalom. 
We will stop seeing him as the Prince of Peace. It is critical that we are people of the Word. And just this moment that we've had beforehand is the Spirit of God. I don't know about you, but the Spirit of God was, was active among us. And it doesn't stop just because we're not, no longer standing up and singing. And we're sitting down now and it's, perhaps the temperature's going down a bit because you know, as we stop still, we get a little bit colder. But no, the, the Spirit doesn't stop. What it does now is he says, now it's Spirit and Word. Spirit and Word. This is, this is who we are. And this is not what I had prepared to say. And I, but this is who we are. We are people who are people of the Spirit and people of the Word. Both are critical for us. In fact, in fact, both of us, both of those things is a very life that we live and breathe. Without the Spirit, we have no use of the Word. I want to tell you that right now. If you have not the Spirit, then this, this book is lifeless. It's the Spirit that brings it to life. But once you have the Spirit and you start reading this book, all of a sudden the life jumps out of this and you read one time it gives the name of the Lord on this and all of a sudden it becomes this amazing life-giving word to you. Why? Spirit and word. So I'm going to read from you to you from Exodus 17. Exodus 17, 8 to 16. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought Amalek. Well, Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, I don't know about you, but when you read that, it kind of sounds like it finishes quite harshly. It sounds like God is going, now I'm going to blot out this people group. And we can sometimes get caught up in this whole thing, oh, the Old Testament, uh, it's about genocide and it's about all this but I don't want you to get focused on this point because I'm going to show you that it is not about a people group that God's speaking about. He's speaking about a spirit against his people. And I want to show you why it's even more incredible that God spoke this against Amalek and not against the Egyptians even. And why it's important that he reveals his name as the Lord is my banner. So the context of this story is that the the Israelites have only been in the wilderness for about two months. They've only been, so they've only crossed the Red Sea. They've been traveling for about two months. And this story occurs. Now, in those two months, a heck of a lot of, has happened. 
Even before that, we see as they cross the Red Sea, here is Moses with the people, and they're trapped, and an army coming against them. And they do nothing except watch the salvation of God. And they cross over the Red Sea, and they come across. And it's a people who have been in slavery for 400 years. So they don't really know what they're doing. So you've got to get into the mindset of this. So here they are. They've, they've just had the, one of the, the, the powers of that time has come against them to take them back into slavery. And God says, and it's an amazing story if you follow it back, in, um, back further back in Exodus, where it says that God says to Moses for the people to do nothing. He says, be silent and watch the salvation of the Lord for you. An amazing scripture. And then God tells Moses, now go get the rod, the rod of God, and, and put it over the Red Sea and see me save your, the, the people. Watch me save my people. And so here we have a story of an army coming against Israel, and God says, do nothing but watch. In fact, it says, be silent. Be silent. Not, don't even pray. Don't get on your legs, let, uh, on your knees and cry out. Just be silent. Just watch. And God does this amazing thing. And we, we know the story of the, the Red Sea parts and the, the people walk across on dry land and, and the whole Egyptian army is taken out. And they're on the other side and they're celebrating. It's an amazing victory. And, and when you read the story and you dig into it, it becomes interesting because it says that they moved on. And I, and I read this the other day, and I, I don't, you might not find it as interesting, but I found it interesting that they moved on because I said the bodies of the Egyptians were washing up on the shoreline. So they move on because of the stench that was starting to come from what God had just done for them. Now, why is that interesting? Because here is the, the, the people of God have just been saved, And before they can even forget it, because we remember that we're so easy to forget, here is this moment where the actual bodies have gone. And there's no moment for them to go, did God really save us? Was that all the Egyptians? No, here they are. They go, we need to get away from this. It is so evident of the saving grace of God upon us. That could have been us. We could have been the ones taken out, but we weren't. For whatever reason, God decided to save us and spare us. Now, I don't know about you, but that felt significant to me when I read up that, this, that they move on because of this stench that's coming up on the, on, the, on the shoreline. And it provokes in them this utter realization that they have been saved. And the Egyptians were not. And so from this, they move on. And what we need to understand here is that such great evidence of what's just been done, and in a matter of a week or so, we have the very same people crying out to Moses, saying, why have you brought us out here? Because they come along and they come to this uh, a spring called Mara which means bitterness. And they come and there's this spring of water, but they can't drink it. And instantly, they're, they're, this is like a week or so after they've just seen this amazing salvation. 
And they come out, and this is a people who only ever know how to be slaves. And here they come to their first encounter with real difficulty in actually being provided for. So salvation was God saving them. He, he rescued them. But now there is this need for a... Now, I know I need to be saved, but now there's this need in my life that I need to be able to live. I need provision. And the first thing they do is, why have you brought us here, Moses? Can't we just go back to... At least we had water there. At least we knew... Like, we might have been slaves... But at least we knew what we had. And so here's the people, week after they've been saved from the Red Sea, they're complaining about not having water. And Moses in this stage is still trying to learn how to be a leader as well. He's still trying out, figuring out how to lead a million people through the wilderness. And so they come through and God says to Moses, throw in this log, throw in this tree into the water and it becomes sweet and they they drink from the water and they're satisfied. They travel a couple more weeks on into the desert. They've had their water, they've got filled with water, all their little jugs are full of water, they're fine with water but they come a little bit further on and they've got no food now. Moses, what have you done? We've been traveling for a month or so and now we've got no food. What are you going to do with that? But why have you brought us here? At least we had food in Egypt. Less than two months, the two most vital things for humans to survive, food and water. Now you know you can survive longer without food than you can without water. And it's significant that water was provided first. But here they are complaining once again, God, not to God. And this, this is the crazy thing, is they don't complain to God, they complain to Moses. And Moses is, God, what are you going to do? These people, they're turning on me. And so God sends manna. And not only just this once-off manna, it says for the rest of the time that they're in the desert, until the very moment they cross over into the promised land, manna was provided for them, six days a week. And this is a thing where God is, God is teaching the people. Now, we, we can often go, oh, it's... The Israelites, look at them complaining, complaining. You know, can't you see? Just trust in God. And I look at my own life and I think, what are the provisions in my life that I go, ah, oh, you know, God, what are you doing? Do you know what? If I was over there, if I had that job, if I was doing that, I'd have all this stuff. What's the government doing about it? <laughs> when are they going to provide? And here's God's trying to teach his people. Now, I don't think God's as, as a God who's angry at his people for complaining at this point. As I said, it's only about two months they're into the journey. He's trying to teach them that he is a dependable one. Okay? He's trying to show them. And there is a point where he leads them up to a crisis. He's leading them to a crisis for the, what will they do? They will learn to cry out to God. Now, they haven't learned that yet because they're still crying out to Moses. So manna comes down, and now their bellies are satisfied. And we go on another few weeks. But this is, remember, this is not even two months past the Red Sea. And again, they complain, we don't have water. We don't have water. And Moses is so fearful at this stage, he says, they're turning against me. They're going to stone me. And this is a moment where God says, Moses, 
take the staff of God and strike the rock. And water comes out. Now here we have, in a period of about two months, from this great salvation of the Red Sea, God providing water on two separate occasions and, and bread, manna from, you know, bread from heaven, manna for 40 years is what God's promised for it. And he showed the people, not only am I saving you from slavery, not only am I training you to be people of freedom, I am your provision. And he's teaching the people this because it's important that they cry out to God because they've got a long, tough journey. I just want to stop for the moment here and just say this right now, is that the Christian life is a long, tough journey. And the majority of the Christian life is in the wilderness. But in the wilderness is where provision is found. In the wilderness is where God provides. In the wilderness is where God speaks of grace and mercy and salvation. It's in the wilderness. And then we have this story. The story of Amalek coming and attacking the people of Israel. Now this doesn't expand on exactly what the, how the Amaleks attacked, but if you read later on in Deuteronomy 25, it actually, Moses actually tells us of what the Amaleks did. See, when they left, um, when they left to come to Rephidim, it actually says early on in chapter 17, it actually says that they left in stages. So they didn't all go as one big group. They actually went in stages towards the next place that they were camping at, in stages. And quite often what would happen is those who were, who were weak and weary would be the ones who would go last so that, that the camp would be prepared for them. So they would come in and those, the, the, those who were weaker, the, the, those who perhaps were sick or, or elderly or whatever, they would be the ones that would come afterwards so that the camp was already prepared for them. Now in Deuteronomy 25, it says that Amalek actually attacked those who were lagging behind. In fact, that Amalek did not attack the main body of the Israelites. They attacked the weak, the weary, the sick, and the elderly. This is who Amalek attacked. So you can see the the heart that's coming out in this, that Amalek wasn't trying to stop a nation entering their land. They were just trying to destroy and, de- and demoralize a people group. Not from trying to confront them, but from getting them from behind. Let me move on quickly. Amalek is the spirit of of those who oppose God. It is an act of those who will actually hit at the very weakest of the weak to prevent the promises of God from coming true. So when we see Amalek here, we are not looking at a people group. We're looking at the very strategy of the enemy to bring down God's people. And he'll do it in the church as well. 
He will attack the weak. He will attack those who are struggling and on the fringe. And the reason why we say come in, people, the reason why we say get involved is because it's the weak that gets taken out first. And that upsets God. And so this is the context of this story. And this is also the context of this story is that Joshua is first, this is the first time Joshua is ever mentioned in Scripture. Before this, we don't even know who Joshua is. And what does Moses say? He says to Joshua, choose some men. Now, get this in your head, okay? You've got to get this in your head. They are not trained warriors. They've been slaves for 400 years. They've never been given a weapon. They only know how to be beaten. They don't know how to fight. And they've got a general leading them. Now, he doesn't know how to lead. He's also a slave. But not only that, the person who is leading him, he says, I'm not going to be involved in this. I'm going to be taken out of the battle. I'm going to be up on a hill. So here we have a people group who's demoralized from the very attack of Amalek. They're weak and they're old. They've just had this journey of trying to understand how to trust and provision of God. They're being led by a man who is first mention of him. We have even no idea what he's like. He's not a general. With a people, an army who's never fought a battle before against a tribe who's well-versed in warfare. In fact, if you look at the, the lineage or the, the rest of the stories of Amalek, it comes up a time and time again in warfare against Israel. Time and time again. In fact, it's so amazing when you look at it that even the story of Esther has an Amalek in it. People opposed to the things of God. So here's this army of Israel, ill-prepared, no training. We don't even know what kind of weapons they would have had, if many. Led by a man who we've never heard of, with their leader who has led them so far out on a hill, and this is who's going into battle. Now, the significant thing that Moses says is uh, he's going to take the rod of God with him up on the hill. Now, I've heard many sermons preached about this, about it being Moses praying. But I want to say to you that I don't think that's what it's about. I don't think this is a time of pointing at Moses' intercessor on the hill. And the reason I, I would say this is because it seems to be pointing at what's happening with the rod in Moses' hand. The focal point seems to be the rod. And why is that? When it's up, they win, and when it's down, it's not. And it's almost as if God's saying, watch what happens with the rod. Look at this. This is the important point. When it's up, they win, and when it's down, they're losing. And it's almost as if God's trying to draw our eye to this, the rod of God, the staff of God. And the other reason why it's, it's important to understand is there's no other mention in the scripture of prayer being done sat down. And here Moses is a sat down. Now, you can go, well, that's a, that's a bit weak. But if it was all about prayer, then I would have thought they would have held him up completely. 
But it seemed to be it was not so much whether he was standing in prayer as so much as what was happening with that rod, that staff. Why is that important? It's important because when we read later when Moses mentions about this and he builds the altar. Now there's this altar built on the hill and it's not an altar where they say they sacrifice anything on. But it's no, neither is it a memorial stone. See, the memorial is the writing of it. This is actually an altar. And altars were made so that things would be sacrificed upon. Yet there's no mention of sacrifice here. And so here we have this amazing thing that actually there's an altar with no sacrifice, but obedience to what God had asked them to do and victory was won. And later on, there is another battle against the Amalekites. And this is King Saul has this battle. And he was told to go out and, and destroy them. And he came back and he did not do what God did, asked him to do. And we have this amazing story of what Samuel says to Saul. Saul says, I've brought all this stuff back to sacrifice. And Samuel goes, it is better to obey than to sacrifice. So here we have another moment where actually there's an altar of sacrifice and they're going to sacrifice, but there's no obedience. Here we have these two stories. We have the first story where there's obedience with Moses and Joshua and the rod being held up, obedience and an altar with no sacrifice. Next time we hear about it, we have an altar with sacrifice but no obedience. And God is looking for that moment where there is both sacrifice and obedience. And this is a foretelling of something that is to come. The lifting up of the staff. Now this is the banner that was being lifted up. And I want to say to you right now, there is an altar on a hill with a tree lifted up waiting for a sacrifice. Waiting for a sacrifice. This moment right here, Moses knows that there is a sacrifice coming, but it is not yet. On a hill, on a tree, there's going to be an altar and there's going to be a sacrifice someday. And this banner that Moses is speaking about, banner means that which we rally to. Now, when it speaks about banner, this banner would be put up in warfare quite often so that you would know if you got lost in battle where to go to, where the rally point was. It was also to say, who's on the battlefield? This banner is on the battlefield. But all through the ages, we see these battles fought against those who oppose the very promises and purposes of God And God says, I will fight against them from generation to generation. The banner was the staff of God. And it was there to show somewhere for us to run to. Psalm 60. You have set up a banner for those who fear you, that they may flee to it from the bow that your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer us. See, Moses had this very picture. I don't know whether it's very picture, but it's certainly this revelation of God when he speaks about the hand upon the throne. 
And here we have in, in, Genesis, uh, in Psalms here, it says, Give salvation by your right hand. So this banner and the hand upon the throne is the active work of, God's, of God declaring his banner of, of, of salvation for his people. And then we go through to Isaiah. We go to Isaiah 10. Isaiah 11, sorry. Isaiah 11, we have this story, uh, this, this revelation coming to Isaiah. says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. See, this banner, this, this word signal here is the same word for banner. There will be a banner that will be declared from the stump of Jesse. A tree, a twig shall be seen from the stump of Jesse as a signal, as a banner for the peoples of all nations. They shall all see and they shall all inquire and they shall find resting place. His resting place shall be glorious. I want to finish with this. What I'm trying to show you here is there will always be people who oppose God. There are always those people who try to take out the weak, the weary, those who lag behind, always. But God fights for them. God fights for them. And in this battle against Amalek, God says, now you be active in me fighting. See, the ba- when God saved him in the Red Sea, he says, now you be passive and watch my salvation come. In this moment here, he's saying, now you be active and watch my salvation come. But the battle against the, the powers of darkness was not won on that day when Moses declared, the Lord is my banner. It was a foretaste of a battle that would take place upon a hill, upon a tree, where the sacrifice was made. And it was not just obedience of the Son of God. It was the sacrifice of the Son of God that brought ultimate victory. These are the words of Jesus. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now is the judgment upon those who oppose the promise and the purposes of God. Now is a time of judgment. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, this is Jesus, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. See, this is the moment that when Moses says, the Lord is my banner, he held up the rod, the staff of God, 
in a symbol that showed the altar that was there that had no sacrifice. One day there would be an altar with a sacrifice upon it. Obedience and sacrifice in Jesus Christ brought the ultimate victory. And from that moment on, the battle is now won. And when we are in trouble and when we're fighting and when we're doubting and when we're struggling, what is we to look to? The banner, the banner of the cross. This is the banner that speaks of victory. And it is not the banner that displays the king is in the battlefield fighting. No, it's the banner that says the battle has been won. Now come to refuge, come to safety. This is the banner we run to. The Lord is my banner. We will, we, will, we will often be in the wilderness, people. We will often be in trials. We will often be struggling. And in those moments, God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ to be your banner, to be the safety you run to. You see, where the king has come down from heaven, he has stamped his banner into the ground on Calvary and he says, people, come to this banner. Come to this safety. Come to this victory. In this moment, when you are struggling, when you're weary, look to the cross for that is salvation and that is safety. And we run to the banner of Christ. Let me pray and then we'll finish. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for the day that you struck your banner into the hill of Calvary. That moment where history was changed, where the battle was won, where the war was over. And now, when we are in our lowest moments, our weakest times, We look to him who has done it all. We look to the banner of Jesus Christ, the one that proclaims love over all, proclaims all authority and all dominion has been given to him, that we can run into the high tower, run into that safety of Jesus Christ. I pray right now for those people who are struggling, Lord Jesus, in life, in their walk with you, that they will turn their eyes and see the banner of Christ that speaks over all history, that speaks over all nations, and all nations will see it. We pray right now, Lord Jesus, that in those moments that people will look and remember the salvation that was given to us through the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. In your name we pray. Amen.